We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. All narrated by Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's Always Cheating Podcast. From Holland, Zoltan, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and check out Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends, wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and regular on the show, Nolan Jensen. Fellas, how we doing? You know, besides being completely and utterly swamped with homework, I mean, to the extent where I'm currently drinking my fourth cup of coffee, it's only 4.30 p.m. here in beautiful Canada. Besides that, I'm doing well. You know, I'm excited for a brief little uh, study break here and talk some Nets basketball with you boys. Get that caffeine high, my dude. The United wow. Nations of Nets Twitter, the United <laughs> Nations of Nets followers is uh, is currently on the Brooklyn bus. Yeah, we got Australia, Canada, United States. Here we go. Obviously, the Nets have been like not letting us chill at all. This is like our fourth podcast of the week. They're signing people like left and right. That's what we're going to talk about today. But as always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsReflect.com, and Blue Wire Pods. And this episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. But Jack, pass it over to you. All right, guys, uh, the last episode we did with Matt Brooks was a live one talking about the signing of Jamal Crawford. And uh, a mere hours later, we saw the signing of Michael Beasley and then uh, Nolan Jensen's uh, favorite guy, uh, Dante Hall. So those two uh, essentially complete the roster. Obviously, Justin Anderson sort of needs to be added in there. But what are your guys' thoughts on this now new Nets, if we want to call them? (laughs) Bubble Nets. Uh I'll say this. Yeah, I definitely have more intrigue about these bubble nets than I did um, last week, you know, for better and for worse. I, I really did like the Dante Hall signing. This is a guy that has seven foot five wingspan, uber athletic, 
build at six foot nine, but plays much larger in a, in a good way. He's fierce. What he kind of does, he kind of reminds me a bit of a uh, meaner Jared Allen. And like, I'm just going to throw this take out there right out the gate. We're not even like two minutes into the episode. <laughs> we obviously don't know who's going to be on the roster entering next season. Um, I I tend to believe that we're going to do more than just entertain the idea for Bradley Beal trade. I think Marks is going to legitimately inquire about his services, which means Jared Allen, likely gone. You know, still very um, alluring asset. So Dante Hall, and again, he's never played basketball for the Brooklyn Nets. He's only played four NBA games, but this is a bit of a Jared Allen insurance for me. I mean, this is a guy that was G League all defensive team, all SEC defensive team, so he's done it at every single level. All NBA G League second team honor. Um, despite the inexperience, despite him being 22 years old and undrafted, he's a bit of a safe pick just because he can play within the net schemes. He's a good role man on the pick and roll, solid rim protector, respectable at the free throw line. Like what Dante Hall is, is essentially what Sean Marks' idea for the uh, for, for what, what bigs should be in the analytically inclined offense. So I think he should fit pretty seamlessly. Yeah, I mean, I was just super happy that they signed a big. Like we talked about on the last yeah, show. Yeah, no like, kidding. <laughs> like they needed to have a backup center. I did not want to see Rodion's or Musa or TLC at center. So getting Hall, I just I felt good about that. Obviously, Nolan just laid out his game pretty well. It's not like I dive deep into G League stuff, but based off the highlights, pretty much now that I mean, rim running, shot, shot blocking, just has like that extra like hype level, and on his dunks where he's just throwing down posters. So adding some excitement factor to the Nets too. And like Dolan mentioned, like this team is way more exciting than it was on Tuesday. Like they literally added Jamal Crawford, Michael Beasley, and now Dante Hall, a guy that can throw down monster dunks. And just talking to Beasley, it was it was a pretty interesting signing. Obviously we know what he's done in the NBA, never lived up to that draft type, but he is a guy that can get you buckets and score. It's just the efficiency has never been there and he's never really done it on a winning team. Yeah, I'll, I'll add a, a bit to both of those guys. Uh, for Dante Hall, you know, obviously one of the best G League players this season. You know, he averaged 15.4 points, 10.6 boards in only t- in a little bit less than 29 minutes of time. You know, he didn't necessarily have the best three-point shot, but yeah, like uh, sort of Nolan was mentioning, he is a smaller version of Jared Allen, despite having the near same wingspan. I've downloaded uh, some YouTube clips of him to, to watch a little bit later after we're done here. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck into there. So yeah, he, he looks like an af- athletic phenom. Yeah, and 22 years old as well. So I, I do like sort of what Nolan was alluding to there, sort of having a, a version of, of insurance from him. He is only 6'9", though. So he's technically not center size is you know i think you know most centers in, in today's nba are 610 or above or at least starting centers you know not necessarily draymond green or al Horford sort of small ball types but i'm excited to see what he can bring to this team and i hope he does get a little bit of time and when it does come to Beasley, obviously there is the Kevin Durant connection. We'll get to some quotes from Sean Marks in terms of what he thinks about it. At 31 years old, you know, grew up in Maryland with Kevin Durant. Uh, they were both number two picks uh, in, in the draft, just one year apart. And Bobby Marks did confirm that he still has to serve five-game suspension for violating the anti-drug test policy last April when I think he was with the Lakers. Um, and obviously that means he'll only get you know three of the seeding games what if there's maybe the the, the playing games uh, plus hopefully the playoffs so uh, it's not like Michael Beasley is going to be out there for every single game that we have but I think that to appease Kevin Durant isn't the worst thing in the world even if Sean Marks says that it isn't that I I look I think that overall uh, people got a, a little bit you know too hyped and, and one way or another but I think this is going to be 
uh, at the very least a fun team to watch and a lot of storylines, a lot of individual players to keep an eye on. I, I do like the youth throughout. I think a lot of us were sort of expecting an Amir Johnson or Lance Thomas. So I actually do, don't mind the youth route because I guess it brings me to my next question, guys. Are you happy with the signings overall that the Nets made? Or do you think that they should have gone a different tact in filling out their roster? Was it right to go after Jamal Crawford, Michael Beasley and, DeMonte, and Dante Hall? You know, I put out a tweet sort of saying, should they go the G League young prospects route, a la Dante Hall? Or should they go the veterans route, a la Beasley, Crawford? Uh, and then a lot of other people did actually say both. If you were to vote in that, if you were to give it an instant sort of reaction, now we've got about 24 hours or so to process the news. Nolan, what did you think of how Sean Marks has sort of added and filled in the substitutes on this roster? I think it was an interesting dynamic. I mean, you bring in Dante Hale, the young guy, the G-leaguer with, you know, filled with upside. Then you bring in two veterans where we kind of know, you know, what they are, especially Jamal Crawford. I mean, at the age of 40, this could very well be a farewell tour for Jamal. <clears throat> also, how at least I um, looked at the Jamal Crawford signing, it was a bit of a culture signing. You know, players across the league loved, yep. uh, loved Including Jamal Karras. Crawford. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely love the signing. So, you know, Sean Mark says the culture aspect is is definitely there. You know, they thought that the Nets did well by Jamal, and I did as well. Uh, he's a fun player. Speaking of fun, Michael Beasley, you know, left-handed mellow. We kind of know what he is as well. <laughs> he can score in bunches. He's not an amazing defender. Uh, I can't necessarily say he contributes to winning basketball by doing the little things, but I don't really think that's going to be asked of him. I mean, you got other players on the depth chart uh, across the rotation that can do those little things. What's going to be asked of him is the score. And if it's anything like his tenure as a New York Knicks in the 18-19 season, when he put up 13.2 points per game on 50% shooting, 39.5% from three, being on a small volume attempts and 78% from the line, that's going to be valuable to this rotation, not just entering the bubble, but, you know, potentially next year when we all know that's the year it really matters. So yeah. I, I, I like the signing. I like that they got in a uh, guy that has upside, uh, Dante Hall, at age 22. He could, you know, potentially be a backup big moving forward. Uh, I, like I said, I think he's a safe pick. He can play within the net schemes. And then you get like a Beasley type where you, you still need scoring. You know, especially bench scoring. It's just a, it's just yep. a nice additional feature to have. Jamal Crawford, I don't know if he's going to be in the league next year. This could very well be a farewell tour. And if it is, you know, it's going to be interesting to see him as the Brooklyn Net these last 8 to 14 games or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to be upset about it because in this situation, like, there's not a ton of options for Sean Marks. And I feel like the idea I got from it was, like, hey, we want to make sure that we're competent when we head to Orlando. We don't want to be an embarrassing team. We need to have veterans like Jamal Crawford. They mentioned that a lot about, like, stabilizing the young guys. Even Beasley, you know, he's been in this league for a while. He can get you a bucket. He's not an amazing player, but he at least can give you some production off the bench. And then Dante Hall's a guy that gives you that big option and kind of fits the scheme. You know, as you know, Amir Johnson was the veteran, but he doesn't really fit in that scheme. Like, he's not going up and catching hoops or anything like that. And I think, you know, no one kind of touched on this, too. From a PR perspective in terms of, like, with players, signing Jamal looks really good. Because how many players do we see tweet this season, huh. hey, yeah, why isn't Crawford in a uniform, blah, blah, blah. And that's something Marks has done well in the past. Like, even throwing those giant contracts at Crab and uh, Tyler Johnson, like, that helps him get his rep up with agents or players or whatever it might be. It makes the Nets a little bit more attractive. And then, like, the Beasley thing on the KD front, like Jack had tweeted out and mentioned, you know, like, 
you're making Katie happy. Like you want to do that. You want him to feel like he's welcome and this is his team. And that was one of the issues in Golden State. So like Marks, I think, did a pretty good job of turning something into at least a little bit positive. You know, there was it was never going to be like the Nets are going to win a playoff series based off of who they signed. But at least he was able to add something positive from the a negative situation. Uh, yeah, and I mean, we'll get to some of his comments in, in a little bit, but, you know, I put out a couple of tweets relating to Michael Beasley. Obviously, there's the photo of him and Kevin Durant uh, in their respective uniforms. I think at that point, um, Beasley was playing for Miami. And then I put out the other guy's clip where it's The Rock saying, no comment, but yes, and in relation to <laughs> Sean Marks, did you sign him uh, to appease Kevin Durant? I mean, great movie, by the way. We could we could probably do a spin-off Brooklyn Buzz podcast on, on a few different movies here. But yeah, in, in that respect, I, I don't hate it. You know, at the end of the day, like you guys mentioned too, it's not a bad thing to, to get some good PR for for the organization. And I think Sean Marks has done that quite well. He's always sort of, as we sort of heard lots of veterans around the league say, that they've had nothing but glowing things to say about the Brooklyn Nets organization. I think everyone except for buddy Kenneth Fareed have had positive yeah. things to say. So in that respect, it certainly does indeed you. And I know that it, it's almost like, you know, that despite the fact that we've sort of spoken about tryouts for this team, it's almost like vet minimum tryouts as well. Yeah. Guys like mm-hmm. guys like Beasley, Crawford and such. Guys Even Hall, gonna... I think it's a tryout. Like, I think, like, literally, yep. we talked about this a lot, Jack. Like, almost every single player heading to Orlando is a tryout in some way for next year's team because, like Nolan hinted at, there's probably going to be a big trade, and there's not a big trade. There'll probably still be some medium-sized trade where you need to fill in pieces. 100%. And yeah, I, I mean, that, that sort of uh, brings me to the comments that Sean Marks and, and Jacques Warren and others were, were saying to the media yesterday. And um, we're getting plenty of content, so it certainly helps us for the buzz. But uh, in relation to that, what we're sort of speaking about there, guys, we're always going to be evaluating players, how they fit not only with the group we have now, but the group that's expected to, expected to be part of this team next year and the year after that. The evaluation process is ongoing for sure. You're right. We're evaluating right now, not only this year, but next year's free agency as well. So it feels like Sean Marks is in the same mindset as us. Yeah, I agree. And I think also it kind of made it seem like he hinted at it. Maybe this is in this quote or a, a follow quote, but that he was important for him to get like solid players so he can continue to evaluate the young guys. So like they had the right resources around them. Cause even though mm-hmm. like we might not view Spencer as a vet, like he's a leader on this team and him not being there is going to maybe hurt, you know, a guy like Jared Allen or maybe a Rodion's or somebody who would look to him for advice or something like that. You can't really depend on Garrett Temple to do it for the whole team. So I think adding the veterans helps stabilize some of the young guys and maybe can make it easier for Marks and his crew to evaluate them. And then also it allow them to play more in position. No, yeah, completely agree. Yep, um, and I'll get to a few more quotes before we do move on. Uh, Jacques Vaughn said this of Jamal Crawford, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys sort of think as well. Um, obviously, we've spoken about him on pods and, and on this one as well. What Jamal brings to this team is the ability to make shots. You also get veteran leadership. You get a guy who has hopefully we continue to advance while we're here. He's played in high-level games and is really comfortable being on the floor, can talk to multiple guys on our bench and how to be calm, how to uh, preserve the opportunity that's presented in, th- in front of them. Nolan, what were your thoughts? on uh, the now head coach of the Brooklyn Nets saying that about the the new Brooklyn Nets recruit. I mean, to take away from the great Brooklyn's beat, you know, to a certain <laughs> degree at least, this is kind of coach talk. But at the same time, I mean, I, I do. I like the comments. You know, Jamal Crawford obviously can score. An amazing shot creator. Um, he can create for others. But this isn't necessarily the Jamal Crawford of yesteryear. I understand in the last four games he played in an NBA uniform, he put up 31-5 and five on ridiculous 55-50-95 splits. 
But the other, you know, 78 games that season, it weren't weren't exactly uh, synonymous levels of production. So I don't necessarily. I know. I don't. I don't necessarily have high expectations for him. I I do agree with the veteran presence. You know, you're going in without Spencer Dinwiddie, Wilson Chandler, uh, even Torian Prince being 25, 26. I mean, this is a guy that's been in the league for a few years. We have a lot of unproven talent right now on the roster as is. So. It makes sense to bring in a veteran guy like Jamal Crawford, who has been in the league since 2000-2001. I mean, for perspective, the Vancouver Grizzlies were still a thing when Jamal Crawford was a rookie. So he has literally seen everything in the NBA. So I, I, I do agree with you there, Jack. Yeah, I think the veteran leadership is definitely going to be apparent in something they need. It's like on the court, you don't really know what you're going to get. Like he is old. He's probably completely washed at this point. But who knows? Maybe he could pop off for a couple games and just give Karis LeVert a spell where he doesn't need to, you know, carry the ball up to court every single time. We have literally no idea how many minutes he's going to even get. But I would assume he's going to get some at some point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, uh, the, uh, Joe Harris and Karis LeVert also had some things to say about the signing. Joe Harris said, if anything, he provides a great voice for us uh, in relation to Crawford. He's somebody who's had a lot of success and is going to be able to just help out from an intangible leadership aspect. Uh, and he also said of this of both Beasley and Crawford. We're in a situation where we need bodies to play. We're fortunate to pick up two really good players. I think they're just going to be able to plug in right away. They're smart and heady guys, and I think their transition will be pretty seamless for us. Noel, do you think that that's a, a positive of Sean Marks signing two vet guys that have been around the league and been on different teams, been in different situations, that the ability for them to integrate into this sort of unknown situation heading into Orlando would be better than, say, getting a, a Dragon Bender or, or another sort of young guy uh, on, on the wings. The whole Dragon Bender thing, uh, I guess I'll attack his game a little bit here. I mean, <laughs> I understand he was a lottery pick not long ago. If you can't fit in Milwaukee, you know, I, I'm not sure there's a place for Jong and Bender. I don't believe in his upside anymore. I kind of think he is what he is. And that's, uh, at best, potentially a quality role player in the right situation. But, you know, Sean Marks came out and said that we're looking to compete. Right? And Jamal Crawford, he what he brings to the table, again, like you mentioned, the veteran leadership, et cetera, et cetera. He's seen everything possible in the NBA and an NBA player can see. He can be integrated into the office probably seamlessly. I mean, he's a walking bucket. We've all seen the 51-point highlight game. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you bring in the veteran guys. You're telling the, the young core that, hey, like, even though we're entering this bubble – with, I believe, what's it, six to seven players are not, you know, outside of Kevin Durant, obviously, are not going to be with the Nets, that we're still here to try and steal a few games. And I'm sure we'll talk about what our, our, um, our assumptions are for what the Nets record is going to be in these eight remaining regular season games. But they're going to go out there and compete. The Jamal Crawford and Michael Beasley uh, signings kind of speak testament to that. And, you know, as much as you want to take a chance on G League, unproven talent, et cetera, et cetera. The circumstances are just so strange for everyone that I'm not even sure, like, as an evaluation uh, perspective, if we can really look at these next eight games. I mean, nobody's played basketball in the four months and truly be able to evaluate a player's growth because it's just it's, it's just absolutely so strange. It's like the first eight games of the season, essentially, and you're not yeah. really taking anything of that because we see guys like 
pop off and we see guys who are in crazy shooting slumps. So, yeah, I think the fact that Beasley and Crawford were on, I think Crawford's been on like eight teams, Beasley maybe like six, have been in so many different situations, and I'm sure they've been cut during the season and signed with new teams. They'll probably be able to adapt a little bit better. And also considering both guys like to play their iso ball, and like the Nets aren't going to be running their system fully anyways, especially with that bench unit having so many new pieces. It could benefit them to have some of these guys that can just plug in and play and do their own thing and get you a bucket. Like I'm not expecting efficiency from them, but there definitely is going to be scoring troughts for that second unit. And Beasley and Crawford will be a guy that will be at least willing to take the shot. Yeah. Definitely. And maybe too many uh, we'll, shots, but <laughs> we'll, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Karis can't take them all. But speaking of Karis, uh, the Karis Avert, who actually did go to the, the same university, the same alma mater, and uh, was uh, had Jamal Crawford as one of his favorite players growing up, growing up said this uh, When I went to Michigan, he reached out to me, and we've been kind of big brother, little brother ever since. I think he'll definitely add some dynamics to this team. He's a veteran in this league, played for a lot of teams. I spoke to him yesterday. I actually can't wait to get him out here. I sort of said Beasley was there to uh, appease Kevin Durant. Jamal Crawford's clearly there to appease Karis LeVert, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. he's like Karis LeVert's like, little hype guy. I think he yes. was already saying, like, Karras is, like, one of the best players in the league. I was like, yo, I love this guy, Jamal Crawford. Sign up for next year. <laughs> no, um, but I think it'll be good to have somebody he's comfortable with because this. I think, like, we haven't talked about it much, but this is going to be, like, an extreme pressure situation for Karras. Like, we've seen him do well in this, but it's a different than what it's been in the past where not that the Nets need to win games, but everything's really going to be running through him in Orlando. It's not right. like, hey, Spencer's there or there's no D'Angelo Russell. There's no other, like Chris Gios is the next guy up. So it's like a lot of pressure on Karras and having somebody who's mentored Karras in the past and has like talked to him and helped him develop into the guy he is, I think is a great choice by Marks. And you got to make your third star happy, right? True that. True that. Yeah. Um, Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite team and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Get in on the action on this week's big UFC fight or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? BetOnline has future odds including win totals, division winners, and even league championship. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. One thing I'll put to you guys, do you think that there can be, obviously there's a lot less time to develop the relationship in such a short span, but do you think that like Damari Carroll and D'Angelo Russell developed that sort of relationship with the the veteran and the sort of young guy on the rise? Obviously, Karras is somewhat extended into his career compared to D'Angelo Russell was at that stage. Do you think mm-hmm. Jamal Crawford can provide individual mentorship in a similar vein to what Damari Carroll provided to D'Lo Nolan? Damn, that's a good question. Um, from what from what we've heard so far, yeah, I would think yep. so. I mean, you got players across the association that have nothing but great things to say about Jamal Crawford, yeah. and I think having a veteran um, alongside Karis Avert kind of speaking into his ear, uh, giving him help as this uh, bubble progresses is going to be a great thing for Karis Avert, and just to you know instill a little confidence into the guy as well, right? Um, you know, I, 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 do, I do believe that having Jamal Crawford as a veteran leadership to help out Karasafard and, you know, the other young guys as well. From that perspective, I do like what Sean Marks has done by bringing him in. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. And obviously, since they already have that relationship, you know, built up from both going to Michigan, I think that adds a little something. And let's be honest, like we've kind of like thrown a little shade at Jamal Crawford. But back in the day, he was a great scorer. So like he can definitely teach Karras a thing or two about scoring this league and kind of taking his game to the next level. He's just not there anymore. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I was a, a big, big fan of Damari Carroll, just purely off-court reasons as well as on-court reasons. He, in terms of that's what he swag. brought to the, that's that's that swag, Daddy. Um, in terms of not just the outfits that he brought, but <clears throat> he challenged D'Lo as well, not just yeah. support him, he challenged him. So I'm hoping right. Jamal Crawford can give uh, a little bit of tough love to Karras if it's needed at times. So if he's taken, you know, horrible shots, or if he's getting, you know, gun shy and he's sort of, you know, he's he's, he's passing the ball. So I'm intrigued to see. Um, and, and I don't hate it, you know, purely for that sort of respect. I didn't know that they both went to the same college, so that, that's a, a nice little thing. But uh, Marks, Sean Marks wanted to uh, speak about, or well, he was asked about the the age-old question <clears throat> that I sort of put out there was Beasley there to just appease Kevin Durant. And he said this, I think that's fair to call Kevin on every single scenario we do. It's probably well documented over the last over the course of the last few years that those two are pretty close. But that wasn't a factor in this. We're looking at who is available and the talent. And Mike certainly is that. Nolan, uh, is Sean Marks blowing off a little steam here, speaking through some smoke and mirrors? Or do you believe everything that he's saying? One, I love that he addressed that everyone just immediately assumes that the Michael Beasley signing was Kevin Durant's doing. I do like that he addressed that. And two, I mean, come on. Like, we all know that Sean Marks, he's not exactly operating with full autonomy. And honestly, I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. For whatever reason, that's often condemned in the NBA sphere. I mean, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, working alongside Sean Marks, getting the right personnel, be it complimentary pieces or coaches, that's that's a good thing. You want your executive to communicate with your two megastars, and that's exactly what Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are. Kevin Durant sees something in Michael Beasley, sees that he can be, a, you know, he can alleviate scoring woes off the bench, be a a, a leader for that second unit, proverbially. I, I don't see how that's a bad thing. I mean, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, these are two guys that understand basketball. They understand how to win, and they have won. So... Marks working alongside those twos, I've never really been able to wrap my head around why that's condemned because I honestly think that that's a good thing now and obviously moving forward. Yeah, and Jack and I have talked about it in the past. Like when you play basketball, you rather play with your friends, especially if they're like talented. Right. And if they're not talented, then you might want them on your team. You might be a bad friend. So like I don't think like, and it's not like this is a giant decision. Like Sean Marks just traded two first round picks for Michael Beasley or anything like that. It's literally just like, hey, we're gonna give it's him some run if it works. Yeah, it's a flyer. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And like you said, no one like. Why would KD not be involved in decisions and why would he not listen to his input? Not only is he the star of the team, but he's also like one of the best players in the league and he studies basketball probably more than like any other person out there. So I'm all in on KD and Kyrie having their input, especially if the situation isn't a huge one. Yeah, and I think that that's it at the end of the day. I think that Sean Marks is saying what he has to say um, uh, as well. You know, obviously he doesn't want to come off like he's sort of totally just all for Kevin Durant or all for Kyrie Irving. He needs to show that he's the leader of this organization and he's going to be building it how he sees fit. But I also think that, like Nolan said, you know, there's nothing wrong with appeasing your superstars and keeping them happy. You know, we've obviously got them there for a few years, but we want them to endear them to the organization because if they're comfortable, they're going to be playing their best basketball. They're going to be motivated for, for this team. They're going to want to bring in uh, a heap of other guys. But guys, a, a poll I literally just put out because just hearing you speak just made me think about it. And it's an unprompted question, so I, I, I apologize for that. But 
out of the three out of three guys, three vet minimum guys we could have next year on this roster, hypothetically, it's Michael Beasley, it's Jamal Crawford, <clears throat> or it's Kamala Anthony. If you can have one <laughs> oh, of those guys, one of those guys, Nolan, Nick, I Nolan, love it. who would you have? Who would you have? Oh, Melo. Yeah. No hesitation. It's going to be Carmelo Anthony. Um, you know, I, Melo is one of those guys, and it's like, it feels like the Nets just have a collection of these now, where he can be a good defender when he needs to be, and he can up the intensity once the playoffs come around. I mean, we, we saw what he did in 2009 in the Western Conference Finals against Kobe Bryant. He was going toe-to-toe with him, and nobody played harder than Kobe Bryant did. He can elevate. He can reach that next level. He's a savvy veteran. He's still a bucket off the bench. He can score any which way you you could possibly have. He has every I mean what I mean, sorry, is that he has everything in his offensive arsenal. And once the game slows down and once um, you know, offenses potentially slump because defenses are playing so such tight knit defense, having, you know, a previous life as a bucket in the post and triple threat, et cetera, et cetera, it's it's still a good thing to have. Carmelo Anthony can still contribute to winning basketball, in my humble opinion, and I, w- I would go with him. Yeah, I mean, Carmelo is still substantially the most talented out of those three. Like, it's not even a question. Yeah. Like, you can make an argument about Beasley, maybe, but Jamal Crawford would definitely be in the bottom of my list. And I think, like, you're putting Carmelo in a bench situation. He's not starting, so he would be a bench guy. So I would go with Melo because, like Nolan mentioned, he has the most offensive, like, versatility. And he also, I think, if I had a guess, was probably the best career three-point shooter out of all three of those guys, too. And, like, he brings a little bit of hype to his name. And I feel, like, more confident that he'll be able to, like, do something impactful in a playoff series than I would Michael Beasley or Jamal Crawford. Like, wouldn't be a surprise if this is the last we see of Jamal Crawford, this little stint with the Nets. And Beasley, it's kind of up in the air. Like, he could have signed with a team this year. No one signed him. So, like, Melo still played on the Blazers. He started a ton of games. So, give me Melo. Yeah, I'd probably say the same thing. I was lucky enough to see that Dwayne Wade swan song game where Melo almost took a shot at Barclays. Hit everybody with a mean pump. <laughs> oh, man, that was one of, that's one of my favorite experiences ever watching live sport. But, uh, guys, we'll get to some more quotes from Jamal Crawford because he spoke to Brandon Robertson uh, in a podcast. And uh, I'm intrigued to hear what you guys sort of think. And he spoke about the, the initial signing. And he sort of said, things happen kind of fast. Uh, we had dialogue with them, just like we had every team throughout the course of the year but nothing translated at that time and maybe it wasn't the right time but then like everything happening right now different things kind of happened fast it accelerated really really fast and it worked out uh, Nolan are you surprised to hear that he was in contact prior to, to this Orlando bubble uh, with Jamal Crawford so you know what that immediately makes me think of yeah that when we signed Amon Shumper that Jamal Crawford was another name that was thrown yep. into the bag oh okay um, yeah, at the yeah. time, you know, obviously completely different situations from uh, November to now July, you know, all those years ago, it seems like, where at that time, you know, a combo guard might not have been a necessity and he might have looked at Shumpert and what he brings to defensive intangibles. I mean, at the time, Brooklyn Nets had a horrific defense in the first few weeks of the season. So the, the Shump signing could try to alleviate those woes made, made, made some sense. But now... You know, we need scores. We need shot creators. We need vets. And essentially, we just need bodies. And Jamal Crawford, I mean, he's still capable of putting up 28 to 35 points in any giving, on any given night. I mean, in the same breath, he could also go, you know, one of seven for four points. It's getting up there in age. But he, he's, what he brings to the table, 
Um, I feel like it's honestly something that we need. I mean, it's a flyer. Like I mentioned earlier, like Nick just said, uh, this could just be a farewell tour. You know, they did right by NBA stars across the league by signing him. This, I don't really feel like I have to overanalyze it. It's, it's, yeah. it, it, it was, it, it was solid. I, I really don't have much to complain about it. Yeah, I feel like they even could have been looking at him when Kyrie officially went down for the year, just trying to add like another ball handler before mm-hmm. they maybe knew that Chris Chioza was capable of being that backup point guard. Because like Crawford, like we've talked about, he's not the same player he once was, but he can still handle the ball, get you a shot, run your second unit, or at least take shots for your second unit. So it kind of makes sense. And we know Sean Marks like to kind of keep in, in touch with a lot of different free agents because you never know when you might need him. Yeah, definitely. And obviously the agents and, and their clients uh, as well, you know, you, you want to endear yourself to the NBA community in general and, and sort of have a good standing because, you know, it's a part of the reason why the Nets were able to lure Kevin Durant and Kyrie yep. to the organization over mm-hmm. the New York Knicks. But uh, we'll get to Nick's favorite quote uh, from the podcast slash article, no doubt, uh, him talking about Carol Levert. I love his game. Always have <laughs> loved his game. I thought he would have been an all-star the year he got hurt, to be honest with you. He was playing the lights out. He's so humble, has so much ability. Uh, he loves the game, shooting the game, and he always wants to get better. With that humility, that love, that drive that he has, he's one of the greats in the game for a long time. Nick, um, how much time do you want to speak talking about this quote? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've read it. I read it a couple times. I mean, I was definitely surprised by it. I mean, I think, like, all the things he said about Karras, uh, like, he's not one of the greats in the game yet, but, like, I think the humility, the love, the drive he has, it all makes sense, and I can understand why like uh, a veteran player might like appreciate Karis because he's not like drama and he he's willing to do the dirty work and kind of put in the work. So it makes sense. Right. Uh, we'll get to the the next sort of point that he, he mentioned about the mindset for the team uh, in Orlando. He said, keep pushing towards the playoffs. I feel like our chances, we've got a young, healthy group full of energy. Uh, people on the outside aren't expecting too much from us, and that's cool. The game still has to be played. I'll make sure that we keep our minds to take it one game at a time. In this situation, kind of works in our favor. It's kind of like an AAU game. We really get to lock in. Uh, I really That quote to me um, is a really, really good one because – where you need those veteran guys is to sort of set the mentality, keep guys motivated and sort of, you know, take, obviously we'll be get we'll get to um, our sort of predictions for our revised predictions, if you will, uh, for the eight games in Orlando. But I do like to hear him say that Nolan, what were your thoughts on uh, the mentality that Crawford hopes to instill into the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, I like the attitude. I do. I do like yeah. that yeah. mentality. Um, is it going to translate into Brooklyn Nets victories? <laughs> that's that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other debate. I mean, I don't exactly have high expectations. If they go out there, they compete, they play hard, and they end up losing by 25 to the Milwaukee Bucks, so be it. I'm not exactly expecting them to push the Bucks in a seven-game series to the distance. But, you know, it's, it's an evaluation setting. Uh, I'm curious to see how certain players look. I mean, this could also be the last time we see you know, certain Brooklyn Nets on the rotation. So I'm, I'm just going to sit back, enjoy it. I like the mentality they have. Just go out there, compete, and uh, I'll live with the uh, eventual outcome. Yeah, I think you. this is kind of the veteran leadership we were talking about. Do you want him to bring this to the young guys, help them understand, stay locked in for the moment? And like I said, not get flustered and just get, like, cooked by 40 in the first quarter. Like, the Nets are looking to at least be respectable down there and compete. But like no one said, it might be getting blown out by the Bucks, but at least, like, looking respectable in some way or another. And Jamal Crawford's <laughs> going to try to help them get there. 
Yeah, I think that maintaining a competitive attitude and a, yep. a sort of obviously when you are an athlete in, in any sort of field, obviously the, the craziness of the, of the current climate, no matter what sport you're playing, you want to focus on the, the immediate task at hand. And the immediate task at hand is acclimating guys and sort of getting to know each other, each other's sort of games and you know integrating with the coaches and, and just game plan, the rotation, all that sort of thing. We'll get to a little bit of, of, of that sort of going forward. But a couple more quotes for you guys. Uh, we're obviously number one at OTG Basketball at keeping up with the food and the whereabouts of what's happening in Orlando right now. And Jamal Crawford, he wasn't—he—he he thinks he's okay with it. He said, "I've only had one meal, to be honest with you. It was good. I mean, I've been at home for a year. Scoop. I have nothing to complain about. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have the opportunity. So I'm all for it. Um, certainly not the words of Rajan Rondo. <laughs> no, no, Rondo no. seemed really upset. Uh, Damari Carroll, obviously, ex net was like, hey, this is some good cooking. I don't know what you guys are complaining about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was a nice looking hotel room. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. you see some of the meals I eat. So, in comparison, <laughs> that chicken and penne, whatever it was that Chris Chioza was eating, didn't look half bad. It looked kind of appetizing, if anything. It looks yeah. like basic food. It's not like you're eating five star, which probably a lot of these like NBA players are used to. It's not like you're getting this elegant dining, but like, I would kind of compare the food that they're eating is to like maybe a grade up over like diner food. Yeah, and obviously, um, <laughs> I mean, it's not bad. Out. It's edible. And like, <laughs> it's passable. You know, it's like it's like a little Olive Garden action. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like okay, you're not eating crazy, but you know, this is like a fifteen dollar meal. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, check out JBT. We're gonna be checking, chatting more about uh, the behind the scenes, including the food uh, for this week's episode for, for that. And this canter said they got the stock on the snacks. I don't know if you guys saw, he laid out his entire bed. He had like 10 cans oh, of soda, I, like 10 chips, like mad uh, candy bars. Like he said, they got them stocked. He's like, we should appreciate the NBA. I think I saw, <laughs> I, think, I think I saw, was it Lou Williams or someone as well? Had it like all over like the table near his TV where he had like his recording studio set up as well. So, I mean, those snacks normally cost like eighteen dollars a packet of chips. So uh, clearly, the, they've got that's probably more expensive than the meals that they're eating. But the final one I wanted to get to, guys, was Jamal Crawford um, revealed what number he's going to be wearing in Orlando, and it's going to be number one, former number of Theo Pinson, and he said he started wearing it because of Penny Hardaway. Um, what do you guys think about Jamal wearing the number of former crowd uh, bench superstar Theo Pinson? Mad disrespectful. He's got to change his number right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Carrying on the legend. Sorry, you said Jamal Crawford looked up to Penny. That's why he wears number one? Uh, mate, yeah, that's uh, that's essentially he said Jamal Crawford was, like was his guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was actually – I love watching old retro Penny Hardaway highlights. I, I didn't know that the correlation was to Penny Hardaway, so I'm all for it. I mean, I expected Brooklyn to retire number one, uh, <laughs> but – you know, it is what it is. So I guess I guess, I guess Crawford like can carry on the leg. Yeah, I <laughs> guess Crawford can carry on the legacy. That's fine. I feel like he will provide some positive attitude on the bench. Like he won't be as crazy as Theo, but I feel like he will be like, "Hey, good, good job." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> <laughs> like he just has a really like positive, happy like vibe to him. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm really intrigued to sort of see that. And obviously, I've been a fan of his. You know, I've had, I've been keeping an eye on his career for, he's always just been with Lou Williams, the guy that I've sort of just associated as just the six man. You know, he's just, he's embodied that award. And I would be surprised if it's not named the, the Lou Crawford or Jamal Williams award yeah, in the yeah. future because those guys embody that. Uh, but super we fun now to have... use in 2K over like the last 10 years, just like oh, yeah. a guy that can 100%. shoot from anywhere. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always like J.R. Smith as well. Just the guy's athletic, can dunk and shoot threes. But uh, mm. J.R. Smith is... I mean, it's great to see these guys in the NBA right now. Let's just put it that way. We, we, we love to, to see the the guys that provide content, whether it be it on Instagram Live or, you know, in some great quotes, <laughs> talking up Nick Bay's favourite player. But speaking of the players and the players in general, getting back to the roster itself, Nick put out a tweet ranking, uh, asking uh, the Twitter community to rank the Nets players 1-14. to 14. Um, obviously, there was a little bit of response to that. People putting in different tiers. Uh, Nolan, you don't have to, I guess, go through the entire thing. Oh, I got the whole thing. I wrote it. it out. I'm ready. Do it. I was Do ready it. for this question. This one was tough outside of the top three. It was actually really interesting. I, I sat here honestly puzzled for like 10, 15 minutes <laughs> it's on hard. where I should put Rodion Kuruks. <laughs> so, Yo, Rodion might I be had... the hardest one on the list. <laughs> This is what I have, and wait till you hear who I I feel like is the fourth best player. But this is this is honestly how I feel. This, this is what it's come down to essentially. I had Karis Avert number one, obviously. I put Joe at number two, Jared Allen at number three, number four. I had Beasley, followed by Garrett Temple, Chris Chioza, Tyler Johnson, Jamal Crawford, Coop, TLC, Musa. My guy, Justin Anderson, still not officially signed. Hopefully, that comes to fruition. Dante Hall, and lastly, I had Jeremiah Martin. Okay. Nick, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I was pretty close to it. I think, like, in the middle, it gets interesting where Corey put into tiers, which I think makes the most sense because, like, Karras is probably in his own. Then you got Joe Harris and Jared Allen probably in one. Garrett Temple. I would probably put Garrett Temple above Beasley because I just know what his floor is. We're like... Beasley's variance is just so crazy and like and I'm not sure how much he can like impact winning basketball where I know that Garrett Temple can be like that three or D guy and I'd even maybe even put Chris Gios over him it's tough to say because like obviously we haven't seen Beasley play basketball year but Gios' skill set is something that does matter in terms of playmaking and like making other people better then after that it's like you have Beasley you have Tyler Johnson you have Jamal Crawford you have Rodions you have TLC and that's like a whole bunch where it's hard to differentiate those players. And then after that, like Moose is definitely at the bottom, Justin Anderson, <laughs> Jeremiah Martin, Dante Hall. Like that's the easy part. It's like that middle section pretty much yeah. from for me between Chris Gioza, Jamal Crawford, Tyler Johnson, Michael Beasley, TLC and Rodion's. That's the hardest to differentiate. And Rodion's was such a hard guy because like he played bad this year. But last year we saw him play starting level minutes. He wasn't a good starter. Mm -hmm. He was definitely like a fifth starter where you could say maybe he's the fifth best player on the Nets. Or like by the time Orlando's done, like we could say he's the fourth best player on the bubble Nets. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. You know, I probably, in, um, upon hearing Nolan's list, would have TLC and, and Rodion's a little bit higher just because maybe because of how they've been deared themselves and, and what I've seen this season and the recency bias sort of sticks out. Uh, but then again, you know, Michael Beasley is only 31 years old. You know, he's talented guy. Like, yeah, really oh. talented guy. He can can get his can get his own in that sort of sense. Are much better than both of those guys. But I think in terms of role player capabilities, I'm a little higher in TLC. I thought that he's shown gritty defense, um, has hit the three ball a little bit. I've liked his sort of straight line drives. Uh, and, and for Rodion's, obviously, 
for basing off this season, you know, he's been one of the poorest Nets players on, on the squad. But we also did watch a game where we saw him start uh, against the Miami Heat and play a tremendous game of basketball. Yep. So if we see that version of Rodion's Kuritz, you know, he's probably in the starting five. And obviously we will get to that in a little bit. But right. yeah, it's an interesting one, the, that sort of mid-tier. And I think that that mid-tier that we, is the, the tier that we've spoken about in terms of that's going to be auditioning for, for next year's roster. 100%. And, 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 and so- trying to prove themselves in, in every sort of sense of the imagination actually Kuruks's numbers as a starter are kind of synonymous with what he was last year I mean it was only four starts obviously the Miami Heat game kind of inflated his stats a bit but 9.3 points per game that's somewhere around what he was averaging last year and he tripled his volume from three so Rodion Kuruks as a starter compared to Rodion Kuruks coming off the bench as like an eighth ninth man whatever it's literally night and day yeah, he's just such an intriguing player. And I think, like, what's also – this is just in general when you're ranking players. It's like how much do you value guys that can create for themselves or create for others? Or how much do you value guys that are, like, plug and play and you can kind of put them in anywhere and they'll be able to find some success? Like, Rodion's is a guy where you don't ever really have to draw a play for him. He might catch an oop. He might make a nice cut. He'll hit open mm-hmm. three. So it's like that fit starter, that real compliment, especially when you have – you know, big time scores like Kyrie and KD. So that's why his game is so interesting to me that there's such a potential for him next year. Obviously we had that hope for this season. It didn't happen. There was some variables with the court case and his minutes being fluctuating with Kenny. So um, I feel like Rodion's is like the guy that I'm watching the most in Orlando. Might be, honestly. Yeah, it's it's certainly very, very intriguing. But I guess we'll skip ahead a little bit because we are on the topic of Rodion's guys. Do you think that he deserves to start? Obviously, Brian Lewis and other reporters said today that in scrimmages, he was the starting four for the Brooklyn Nets. Do you think that he gets that position uh, when we see the the scrimmages and, and, and game one against, I think it's Washington? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think Rodion Kuruks next year can still be a legitimate contributor. You need to instill confidence back in him. You need him to be able to find his game. And what better way than putting... I mean, like, the Nets, we really don't have much to lose here. So this is probably the best possible situation for Rodion Carugas to kind of find what he was a season ago. So I, for for me, I think it's an easy decision. I think you have to start him. And he's the guy you want to see the most, I feel like, because you really have no idea what type of player is. Like we just mentioned, his starting numbers and the numbers he has this year, it's just all over the place. And like, there's a potential for him to have a fit that's fits really well next to not even just Katie and Kyrie, but also Spencer and Karras and playing that complimentary role. And also we talked about it in the preseason, hoping he could take that step defensively because of the versatility he has. So, and he's a guy you have the most tape on. Like you don't, you it's going to, like Nolan mentioned earlier, it's going to be hard to evaluate these guys in eight games. But if you already like know something about Rodion's and he proves it more over the course of these eight to 14 games or whatever it'll end up being, then you're like, okay, well I can go into next year. Or at the very least, if like let's say Rodion's plays well, trade value. You know what I mean? He could be that exactly. little bit of a plus that's a cherry on top that gets you Bradley Beal, or maybe it gets you, you know, Drew Holiday or something else, or just gives you that extra draft pick that you can use in a bigger deal. Yeah, yep, definitely. Yeah, I was I was about to sort of say that what you were sort of alluding to, Nick. There, you, you know, you don't you might not have to include an extra first rounder, uh, a late first rounder if Rodion's is proving his value in that sort of respect. But and in future episodes, you know, those guys, him and Moose, did speak to the media. We'll get to some of their quotes uh, in future episodes. But uh, 
in more pressing news, uh, Karis Vert did speak to the media very, very recently and talking about sort of his role and the leadership that he's going to have to see out to. And, and Nick, obviously, I'll get your thoughts on, on this one first. Uh, he said, I think for me, it's just taking on that challenge of being a leader, being that leader of the group, going down there with some of the most experience on the team, playoff experience. I relish these, these types of opportunities and situations. Everything aside, I'm looking forward to going down there and seeing what we can do. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for him. Like, this is a really big opportunity, like we touched on earlier, a pressure situation, but in some ways similar to what we saw in the Philadelphia series last year, where the pressure kind of got put in Karras a little bit more in game three and four, and he really stepped up and put those numbers. And then, like, taking on more of a leadership role, I think, is important because he's a guy, like, and I'm not just saying this because I love Karras, but I think he's a guy that's a great role model for your franchise because he doesn't get in trouble off the court, you know, puts the work <laughs> in good teammate everybody kind of likes him so taking that next step as a leader is going to be important for him and it's important for the sense that like knowing what type of player he is because he might yeah. never get another opportunity to be a number one option on i guess we can call this a playoff level team but that's you know he might not ever get another chance like this so he's going to capitalize it and if if it's anything like we've saw in the past i think Karis will have a really good orlando control c control v <laughs> yep all, all about that. I mean, uh, I'm sure Nolan's been doing plenty of that in his study, but I'll, I'll give some of my <laughs> thoughts. I'll give some of, some of my thoughts as well. You know, Karis obviously has had some opportunities to prove himself as a number one guy. When Dealer went down uh, a couple of years ago, like like in the Jamal Crawford quote we alluded to, you know, he was leading the team playing all-star level basketball. In our most recent playoff series against the Philadelphia 76ers, Karis Levert was the best performer in that, was our best player in those series. Obviously, now we don't have to... We, we need him to be the best player again. So he, can he continue to prove himself and take the next step and not just to lead the team in moments and spurts, but for consistency, you know, and, and, and provide things on and off the court and just be that guy and prove himself that he can be that guy. I think it certainly suits that his skills, loving to have the ball in his hands where he generally does his work best when we sort of did, you know, mini season reviews uh, during the quarantine. But uh, we have Nolan on the show. I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, get to some of his tweets and the one that sort of stuck out to me and we haven't spoken about this man much on the on the episode yet, um, but Nolan puts out there, allow Jared Allen like three to four three-point attempts per game. Literally, no harm can be done. Nolan, what's prompted this outlandish but very, very <laughs> responsible tweet at the same time? I mean, at this point, honestly, you know, why not? In, in the same breath that Rodeo and Cruz, I feel like, should be starting at the four what what possibly do you have to lose here? I mean, we've all advocated for it, a deeper offensive bag, you know, the ability to fade off of pick and rolls and knock down 15, 17 footers. Let's step back a few extra feet, you know, and really see if we can get that three ball going. I mean, he shot five of 15 from a rookie, as a rookie, sorry, from three. Uh, not the most impressive stat line ever, but, you know, like there was potential there. Jared Allen's rookie year, he shot 75% from the line. He did connect on 33% of his threes, being only 15 attempts but you know what better opportunity are you going to have to try to add things to your bag see it work in an nba game setting than these next eight games i mean i i i i imagine that we're going to get into our eventual predictions i didn't have the nets winning too many games here so i want to see him hoist them you know it's it's yeah. if anything it could show other nba executives hey he still has this this is something that you can grow he's only 22 still he's still relatively young and it, it can be used in that sense as trade bait. Or, you know, if he stays on the roster next season, maybe he puts up 0.5 to 1.5 three-point attempts a game. 
You know, maybe it's something that we can add in down the road because I think Jared Allen's offensive game, he could really use a little more versatility than exclusively being a role man in the pick and roll or finding his buckets off of crashing the offensive glass. I mean, it could change the dynamic of his career if he had a three-point shot. Like, he just becomes that much more valuable, especially in terms of, like, spacing on the floor. Uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think a lot of it really depends on how comfortable Jared Allen feels shooting threes. Because, like, mm-hmm. we've seen him shoot threes in games, and it just, for me, it just, like, doesn't feel super comfortable. I mean, super early, awkward. Yeah, it's just, like, awkward. Dur- early in the 18-19 season, I think Jared hit two threes on opening night, and everyone was like, holy shit, Jared Allen shooting threes this season. And then, like, it just kind of, like, dropped off each, you know, week less and less, and then by the end of the year, he wasn't shooting them at all. So, like, I'd be happy to see him shoot, like, one or two, like, three or four, whatever it is. Like, if he feels comfortable, why not? Like, is the next guy really that much better of a shooter unless it's like Joe Harris or Karis Avert that you're yeah. really worried about taking threes from somebody else? And like you mentioned, not only could it help him on like next year, but it could also increase his trade value because now all of a sudden the team's like, holy shit, this guy can shoot threes. Like, um, then you like start to get like, you know, evil genius on them and thinking that, oh, I can develop Jared Allen to like a top 10 center. And then all of a sudden the potential is so much higher and that much more intriguing for a trade. Yeah, I've, uh, I've the point that I've made on this podcast before is that Jared Allen really missed an opportunity not taking threes this season to yep. set himself apart mm-hmm. from DeAndre Jordan. And I think that obviously because they have such similar skill sets and now Dante Hall's coming in as well, also has a similar skill set. Um, again, not necessarily a good three-point shooter. Despite the fact that Jared Allen has been a decent enough free-throw shooter and, and better in yesteryear than he has been this year. I think, yeah, you guys hit the nail on the head. It's all about confidence and, and if he's willing to, uh, because it seems to me that he's given the green light. It's just that he's just a little bit timid in that respect. And, you know, if, is he going to be a Clint Capella type or is he going to be a Miles Turner type? You know, obviously time will mm-hmm. certainly tell. But uh, the final one we'll get to, lads, and this one did gangbusters when I checked it out on Twitter. Uh, the Nets will go, what will the Nets record be in the eight games in Orlando? And a refresher for those playing along at home. Uh, the Nets have the Magic, the Wizards, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Kings, the Clippers, the Magic, and the Blazers for their final eight games. Now we have the roster pretty much set in stone. Nolan, how many games are they winning? How many are they losing? Uh, I'll, we'll give a shout out to you at UK Nets fans. Uh, didn't actually give me the record, but just said they will go absolutely bananas. I, I'm a big fan <laughs> of UK Nets fans. Shout out to you at UK Nets fans and all uh, all other Nets Twitter followers listening to the show. So before I give my official prediction, I'd like to state that would it not be the most 2019-2020 Brooklyn Nets thing ever to go like 5-3 and three in these next eight games? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, because like I have never this entire season, every time I predicted what the Nets are going to do, it's been the polar opposite. I'm like, okay, you know what? The schedule is weakening up a bit. They should be able to take four of the next seven and they go one and six. I'm like, oh, man, it's really getting tough down the road. We got five straight games against playoff caliber teams. We'd be lucky if we take one or two and they go four and one. So the Nets going like five and three when I'm predicting that they're going to go two and six would be just be the most 2020 Brooklyn Nets thing imaginable. I mean, they got five games against sub 500 teams, but like, let's be honest with each other. It's just kind of a lottery team at this point. I mean, it's just completely depleted. I think Jamal Crawford, Karis Avert, 
I, I tweeted it out the other day. I don't know how rational it is, but I'm I'm gonna go on a limb and say they're gonna have a game where they combine for like fifty or sixty points and yeah. beat the likes of like the Wizards or the Magic or something. Sneak one game there and then Karis Avert goes scorched earth or something, or maybe one team's just entirely slumps offensively and the Nets defense grinds out a victory. I'll give them two. I feel confident saying two and six. Yeah, I feel like two is the most realistic thing. For some reason, like you said, Nolan, this team is impossible to predict. I'm going to go three and five. I just feel like there's going to be one random game. I like expect them to beat Washington. Like, Washington is really, really bad. Like, mm-hmm. they're worse than the Nets. They don't have any player even close to the level of Karis LeVert, probably even close to the level of Joe Harris. So, like, they should be able to beat them. And then between Orlando facing them twice, I feel like they maybe could get a win there, and then maybe they can get lucky against, like, Sacramento or Portland. Uh, seven and one. The only game they're losing is against the Brooklyn Bucks. <laughs> Why not? I'm speaking into existence. For once, I've been the optimist on the Brooklyn Bucks. Wow. You know, they might lose a game it's to the Bucks. You know, it's, it's, 20, <laughs> it's, it's 2020. It's the, it's, uh, it's the second half. We're in the, the new calendar year. It's, uh, I mean, what is time anyway? What is the Brooklyn Nets team anyway? Seven and one. Uh, only one loss to either the Bucks, the Celtics, or the Clippers. Uh, they're going to beat them all. Uh, Jamal Crawford, scorched earth. Michael Beasley, scorched earth. Joe Harris is going to be running the show, playing power forward and center. Uh, it's going to be a crazy time, guys. Uh, and Nolan, Matt, myself, and Nick, we're, we're all going gangbusters here on the buzz. And uh, for once, uh, Jack has been optimistic. I mean, like, the Nets could be, like, the most annoying team in Orlando where, like, Vaughn has them playing super hard. They have all these guys trying to earn contracts, and they just play, like, mm-hmm. super gritty. Not that they're going to, like, go – I don't think they're going to go 7-1. I hope <laughs> they do. That would be freaking awesome and be a really fun, like, storyline and cool for the buzz. But, like, they definitely, I feel like, are going to make games closer that shouldn't be close. Like, I could just see them scraping out games and making it, like, in the fourth quarter where they have an opportunity to win. They just don't pull it out because – their closing lineup is a bench lineup, so. We shall see. Uh, funnier things have happened in this world. Um, plenty of funny things and not so funny things are happening in this world. But, uh, Nolan, always a pleasure. Thanking, thanking you for having you on. We'll get to plenty more. Uh, for some reason, we still have a ridiculous amount of content that we can get to in future episodes. Uh, the scrimmage games are coming up soon as well, lads. Yes, We're barely yeah. a week away from that. Uh, Brooklyn Nets basketball is on the horizon and the buzz is going to be getting you right there. 100%. I mean, I'm excited for the scrimmage games, to be honest. But uh, Nolan, like Jack said, pleasure having you on. Jack, always fun talking hoops. You can find the buzz on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, Netsplug.com, and Blue Wire Pods. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.